Hey, this is Zen Perry. Thanks for listening to the Zen Perry Project. I have a few requests of you before we get into the show. First is go to Zen Perry Project, Z-E-N-P-E-R-R-Y Project on Instagram. Give us a follow. Second is make sure you follow and turn on notifications for our episodes wherever you listen to the Zen Perry Project. And third is share the show with somebody. Maybe send them an episode they'd be interested in. Without further ado, here's the show. Thanks for listening. I'm Zen Perry. I'm here with Shane Trimble, the guitarist from High Reaper, and uh, going to chat about some metal today, ch- chat about the the works that you guys have been doing, talk about your road time, talk about some of your albums and music, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, very excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, just uh, as we were just talking about, you are from, you're from Delaware, right? Yes, I am indeed. And then... Uh, we also, I guess, is some of the band from Philadelphia as well. Is that correct? We're okay. from Delaware. Just some guys live in Philadelphia, moved to Philadelphia. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I went to high school here. All, all that kind of stuff. Oh, cool. Um, all right, let's take let's take it way back, way back to the start. All right. Yeah. So you, uh, you're a kid. You're growing up. When did you first get into metal? When did you get into heavy rock? What were you first listening uh- to? Well, I, I, I was, I, <clears throat> I grew up around my cousins. I was born in 72. Okay. So I grew up, uh, like in like when metal was kind of like really just starting, I guess, in some ways, I guess you would say. And I had the uh, good fortune of having, I grew up in a house that was, uh, it was my, uh, it was the house my father grew up in. So my cousins, because their mom had grew up in this house, they, they were just around all the time because it was her, you know, she grew up in the house when we were kids. I have cousins. And I guess they started probably about five years. Old. I mean, I have a bunch of cousins, but this particular family who was uh, the, the children of my father's sister, um, their father, who, to whom I'm not related, was a musician. He went to Berkeley and stuff. Um, they would come to my house and they were older than me. So they turned me on to all of the good 70s music. They all, they were like metalhead freaks. I mean, like one was like the Black Sabbath guy and then the girl, she loved Priest and Iron Maiden, like totally, like uh, totally crazy. Another one, he loved like Ted Nugent and Kiss and Alice Cooper and all that shit. And then the other one, he kind of liked the, he was like Beatles freak and stuff. So I grew up uh, and my mom listened to the music, listened to AM radio. I grew up on AM radio. Um, so I was kind of bombarded with a lot of good music uh, just as a child. And um, But the metal stuff all came from my cousins. I mean, five years old, I was like drawing pictures of uh, like the cover of like, I don't know, like maybe like a live two or something with my cousin because he could draw. And we were like, I was like drawing pictures of Gene Simmons and shit. Shit. So uh you, that, that's like you just went around the whole board of that sort of whole uh that music scene. Yeah, especially uh I I guess for back in the day, like kind of a girl being in the Jews priest and all that stuff. That's pretty rad. Uh yeah, I mean, like, you know, like the thing thing about that is that like of course at the time it, it seems like nothing. You know, and same with AM AM radio, because it's really important to remember that, you know, at the advent of like let's say modern rock and roll, right? So let's say in the sixties, right? Uh, but after the Beatles, like after that kind of style, right? When things started getting heavier with with, with bands like, you know, Led Zeppelin and Sabbath and Jeff Beck group's first, first record and all that kind of shit. Um, it did not take very long 
for music to start to evolve. You know, it started evolving rapidly. So you went from stuff that was like really blues based kind of stuff. Um, and then it morphed. You started getting this progressive stuff even right away with like King Crimson and then later with Yes and stuff. But then you also started to get guys like Jeff Lynn once he once he like wrested control of like ELO away from Roy Wood and Roy Wood went and made Wizard. Um, Jeff Lynn went into like much more complicated side of the Beatles songwriting, but but with the total pop like a uh, thing for it. But but and, and then you had the Bee Gees, they were already making records, but they didn't start making like what became popular for them for a little bit more. But you're talking songwriting went from 12 bar blues to like extremely complex um, uh, key changes and just as really far away from, you know, what how it started and really rapidly. And what was really cool as a child, and this is what I was saying, what you don't know, this shit is happening when it's happening. It all becomes part of you musically. So back then, you know, we'd be driving around the car and listen to AM radio and you would hear God knows what, you know, all, all kinds of shit. But but much more, but the stuff that was kind of far away from that, that like, uh, you know, like, like the electric blues kind of, you know, it had already started with the crazy songwriting and all, which is great, you know. And at that same time, you know, metal, you know, it kind of, what happened is like, you had music that was all really closely related and it quickly kind of diverged, you know? And uh, you had this whole metal scene going on. And my cousins, while I was listening to my, my mom's music, my cousins got me down and dirty with metal. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, as somebody who's pretty much never listened to AM radio, what was what was about it? What were you like listening to IM radio? Or like, what was there just some sort of different reason that you were listening to AM radio in particular? There was, well, FM really wasn't happening yet. So, oh. um, and AM radio kind of had a like a, you could hear kind of a, kind of a broad cross section of whatever was going on musically. I mean, like, not yeah it was just i don't know how to describe it, it just lots of lots of shit was on there and yeah. it was good it's a really good musical education when you're young but you don't know you're that's what i'm saying is that these things that happen to you in life um sometimes they don't really bear fruit till a lot a lot a lot of years later and it's just you know it's just just kind of you know dumb luck yeah no and that's cool and that's that's why i always like kind of ask I always ask people about their, you know, beginnings. I want to just hear what what made a, you know, because music musicians are a little weird. So like, what 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 come, what what brings people to the point they are? And it's usually a good look back at your as a kid, you know. Um, yeah, that stuff really sticks with you because it informs your sense. It informs your your you you as a musician without, like I said, without you knowing it. So it immediately all that stuff. And you can see the difference with people who are younger who grew up listening to gridded, corrected music is as a bass player, when I was a bass player, if you play with them, you immediately know that, and this is not bad, by the way, this is only describing a difference. Uh, they're just so much more on top of the beat. They, they don't have a lot of elasticity in terms of their meter. And it's, and, and they, they're, it's, it's difficult in most cases for them to play a little bit behind the beat and slow down. Now, like I said, that's not a bad thing at all. Um, in fact, I wish that I would play more like that, but it's just, 
it, it's, I have to think about it too much. I don't really play like that, but Tyler does, uh, who's our bass player now, which is great. I like it because I, 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 I don't, I don't want, I, I like that difference in the band and from when I was playing bass and behind all the time all that kind of stuff uh yeah and definitely want to kind of get into that because uh, in other interviews i've seen with you 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 kind of talk about how you kind of like to be uh the free free agent of where you go musically and you like kind of the other people to focus on the riffs and the and the i guess the <laughs> greeting of what you're talking about but yeah i kind of i kind of even see that point being made uh there's there's like two schools of people there's like the really like especially in the town I was just living in where it's like, you got like the funk people who are like right on the beat all the time. And it's like, gotta be perfect. And then you got the, you know, the, the quote unquote fucking cool kids who are like, kind of, it's, it's all sloshy kind of all over the place. And you got that, like kind of dragging sort of feeling, even if it's like fast tempo, you know, it's, it's not supposed to be perfect. Um, what kind of, um, if, if you, if you think your classmates had to describe you as a kid, how do you think they would describe you? Obsessed with Greek mythology. I mean, was, okay. That would, they all say that from when I was young, because I like read every book in the library on Greek mythology when I was a kid. Seriously. Yeah. It, uh, I was a voracious reader. I yeah. was reading, reading like, well, yeah, I was just a voracious reader. Let's just say I, I read nonstop. I don't read anymore, by the way. You don't read, you're, you, got, you got all of it out of the front end of your life? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I certainly don't. Let's just say I don't read fiction at all. There's no chance of getting me to read fiction. Yeah, well, I will times read. I read things to learn only. Like I, I read read not not for pleasure. Let's say that. Do you still have a, a favorite Greek mythology story, or is that just like not? And you're no, you're just done with it. Yeah, but but when I was, I mean, when I was a kid, I was always lugging around some kind of Greek mythology book. Uh, that's, that's rad. But, I, uh, I don't know how you're dismissive of it. <laughs> we really did. Uh, we had a very small library. It was, a, it was an old house um, uh, in, in our little town. And I, I literally, I really did read every book on Greek books. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many there were, but maybe it was like, not like a hundred, but probably more than 50. Yeah. You know, uh, Greek mythology has been around for some time. So I'd imagine there's a decent amount of books about it. Um <laughs> I'm not a professional on the subject, but with this grand or not. Yeah. I'm one girl actually, I mean, just I mean, like, I don't know, a few years ago even said that. Like she just she actually really did say that. That's why I said that, because she was just talking about us being little kids and doing that. That's I mean, that's rad. You know, it's a it's always a cringy thing when somebody brings up my middle school years. I'm like, all right, you can <laughs> Yeah, you can uh, stop right there. Yeah. <laughs> um so when did you actually start playing music? Were you kind of how how much in your in your life were your cousins that kind of brought you up in all this like wild music that you're listening to for back in the day? Okay, it's funny because although my cousins there were there's four of them, um, three boys and a girl. Only the only the eldest one uh, played music, um, and their father. You know, like I said, their father was he went to Berkeley. He was a bass player, but no one in my family. He, like I said, we I was not related to their father. No one in my family was a musician. So, although I wanted to play music, you know, like my friend had a piano when I would go to his house, I would try and play it. It was not until fourth grade uh, when I started playing trumpet. I was a trumpet player. So whatever age you are in fourth grade, I don't know what that is. Maybe 11? I don't know. I actually don't know. It could be 11. I think it's like 12. eight. Could be oh, what it is. It doesn't matter. But 
Yeah, uh, so it was, it was it. Um, and we had recently moved out of that house. Um, and then what happened was that uh, a friend of mine who, who I had met when I was five, I, I'd ended up being his neighbor. Um, his uh, older brother was, in, his, his father had like a squeeze box. He had acoustic guitar that had organ. His, his brother played everything and he, he played everything too. Um, I just started playing all the instruments at their house. And, and one of my other friends had a drum set. And that's, that's, that's really how it really started. But I didn't get my first, I got a, I got a bass when I was probably like in fifth grade. I could have been sixth grade. Okay. Uh, and I got a guitar and let's either, I got a Strat in like seventh or eighth grade. I think it was eighth grade, but it could have been seventh. Who, who do you think your biggest influences were for, for when you were first in that in that position? Were you trying to immediately make covers, or were you started writing music, or were you just making the? No, no, I wasn't even. I wasn't even uh, entertaining writing music. I just wanted to play. Um, at that time, I, I don't even know. I mean, I mean, I was listening to Ozzy and fucking like. I'm trying to think fourth grade, like fucking Duran Duran. Oh, yeah. um, uh, Zeppelin, of course, Zeppelin and Bowie and that, that, that kind of shit. But yeah. I mean, I was, I was just really just, I would just play whatever was on the radio, you know, whatever came on the radio, just play along with it. And, yeah. and more than anything, I think I just wanted to be like my friend's older brother because he, he could, you know, at least halfway play everything. So I was just trying to learn everything at the same time. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I think that's how it goes. That's how I got into drumming was my sister's uh, ex-boyfriend. I saw him play a drum set one time and I was like, that's what I need to do. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. So oh, what I was going to say is that I, I never, uh, I never really um, had in mind to be a player. I've just had in mind to, to learn it all. Mm-hmm. You know, like I wasn't like, oh man, I gotta like. I mean, that came later when I got more into being a guitar player, and then late, and then being a bass player. Uh, uh, but at that time, I, I just wanted to know how to play everything. I mean, not because, not for any real reason, just because it kind of like made sense. It just they're all just. I don't. I'm trying to say something without sounding like cheesy or something like. And it, to me, and this, instruments are all the same to me. It's just like you just say, oh, I'm, I need to make this sound. So I got to I got to do this now or something. I don't know how to say it correctly or say it without sounding like a douchebag. But that's what that's the way I, I view it. I don't I think that I'm I'm the same player on every single instrument. Yeah. It's the same. I mean, like like that it's all the same. I mean, I don't know, like like. I'm not better at anything. I mean, I'm certainly terrible at drums right now because I've played them for 20 years. But what I mean is that, like, I am the musician that I am. And, you know, if I play organ for a year, I'll be way better. I mean, right now I'm not playing keyboards in any way. I'm horrible, but I'm playing guitar a lot lately. So I'm playing guitar much better than I was for 10 years. I was playing bass. But if I just, just, you know, it's all this... And I'm not saying anything good about my guitar playing. I'm just saying, like, they're all the same to me. I just think, like, oh, I got to make that sound now. So let me just make this sound. Yeah. You're, you're Shane. You're Shane and you got some instruments around you and that you're still you. Yeah. Does that sound like an asshole saying that? I don't know. I no. hate when people talk about being, 
I hate when people say, oh, Prince played 90 instruments or what's the guy from Brian Jonestown? What's his name? Uh, 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 oh, man. On Nukem. Oh, he plays 94. And I'm like, what musician doesn't play? No, they're all the same. You just pick one up and you say, oh, I need it to sound like this. Okay, let me do that real quick. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, you're just, there are musicians and they're players. I mean, I wish I was more of a player, but I think I'm just yeah. more of a musician. Whenever you hear those stories about somebody playing like 90 instruments or whatever, you've never seen them like one by one plays something. I mean, it's like, yeah, they even they picked up 90 instruments. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, whatever. Everyone you know can do that who's a musician. They just haven't picked up a fucking harmonium or something, you know? Yeah, exactly. Which harmoniums are very cool. Sure. Sure. <laughs> they're very, well, they're very fun to play. It's like one, whatever. Uh, let's get out of that. Uh, what were the what were the names of your uh, first bands? What was like the first sort of shows you played? What if you I did know? not? My first band I wasn't until I was eighteen. Yeah, and we're a local band. Uh, and but we we st- we just kind of like first didn't we? we went, what were they called? The first one was there one before. It doesn't matter. It was, it was like Fire Tribe. Okay. And then that became uh, Blacklight Rainbow, which later we were like, like a popular local band and popular in New York. But at first we just did some like covers because we didn't know what we were doing. We were 18, you know, and then we just ended up morphing into like a real band. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah. What was it? What was it like? What were your first shows like? Would you? Uh, oh, it's just like, you know, some, like house parties and shit. Yeah. Were you getting into a lot of trouble back then? Not really, no. Nah. No, you just you're just playing music for the love of it. That's awesome. Yeah, well, I'd already quit drinking and doing drugs at that point, so I was like just awesome. chilling. I was just kind of getting into. That's when I was getting into being a guitar player. When I started to take lessons and really like uh, try to be a, pl- a, a, a you know concentrate on guitar. Yeah, right around that, right around <laughs> when I to be my instrument. Yeah, and you've recently taken, or well, I guess maybe last few years you've taken some lessons again, right? Just kind of like brushed up. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, it just changed the way I was playing because I thought once I started playing guitar for the band, I was like, let me kind of. Uh, I had an idea of what the guitar playing should be like for guitar solos and shit. Um, so I started. I was studying with John Bjork a, a bunch. He's like some like a. And first of all, I want to say something about John. He's super great. He's a Swedish guy. Um, he was, he's a little bit younger than me, but he studied at GIT in the nineties. Um, and not only is he, he's a super player in, and a super, super, super guy, but he's a great teacher. Um, and the thing about, uh, about, you know, guitar teachers or any kind of teacher, any kind of, you, you have to find one who works for you. And John teaches in a way that for me, um, it really works and makes sense. And it, it teaches a way I, I, I like to be taught. Um, I mean, our lessons, I mean, I've been taking lessons for more than a year now. I still chat with them from time to time. It, it was all technique based. It was not theory or anything like that. Really. I mean, I'd already studied that stuff. Not that I don't need to study more, but I'm, I'm fine with that. I really was only, it was really only concentrating on technique. It was all technique. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You just you just need the the licks to to kind of keep it going, and then what you what makes sure you not hurting yourself or whatever. Yeah, just the old, just um, I would say really like, yeah, just just the approach to become 
better technically? Like, how do you really, 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 uh, because it's not fun. There's nothing fun about sitting around with a metronome and playing like at 105 BPM, like scale over and over and over, you know, but when you understand that it's what you get out of it, it's, it's really something else. Most it's like everything else becoming technically proficient at any instrument. It's just like, it, it comes down to who, who's willing to fucking endure the, the shit becoming good at anything. It's always, always comes down to who is willing to endure what you have to endure in order to realize that it's like becoming a runner. I used to be a runner in my late thirties. I got into running. Um, and I was never, I was a swimmer a little bit when I was a kid, but I wasn't like, I didn't, I started playing basketball in my twenties, but later, whatever I, I became a runner and running most especially more than anything, because there is no real, there is technique in terms of your form, but it's only about like, what can you survive? Like, what are you willing to do in order to get better? And, and you just have to do, you have to learn to love things that it's kind of, it seems difficult to love at first. And that's what it is like improving your technique on guitar. It really is. It, it there are no shortcuts. Yeah. And I, I, so poorly i, I gotta say like i had for, because I, I would just sit around in my house and play uh finger style play jeff beck blitz and stuff like just just sit around playing like jeff beck stuff um and my technique was i didn't even i would i would hold a pick so infrequently because i only played finger style bass that i i was like man what the fuck is wrong with me i went i went back to play this i relearned this james addiction solo okay and I remember there's nothing fast in it, but the one passage that's a little bit, not even fast, that like you just have to pick, it just alternate pick it for, you know, like, I don't know, a bar. I mean, I don't even know how many, it's less, whatever. It was so sloppy. And I was like, what is going on here, man? This is insane. I mean, I used to play this shit when I was 20. Um, and it was, it was, it was all my picking. I, I forgot. I was holding a pick like I had never held one before. And I said, okay, this is enough. And I first studied with this guy, Ben Eller. Uh, but our schedules, he was also a very good teacher, uh, but our schedules didn't work out. And then later I got with John and then I took a couple lessons from another insane shredder. who's also super, super great. His uh, name is David McDaniel. He's, he's like incredible, but uh, I only took a few lessons from Ben and David. Most the majority of it was John. And he's, uh, it's something I intend on revisiting with him. I just, Right now, building a studio, we have a record to make, like just too much. I have too much shit to even like try and think, like take on improving my guitar playing right now. Yeah. And that's an aspect of the band is the, the, I think a lot of people don't realize is there's, there's a million aspects to it. You know, you got to market, you got to <laughs> you talk to people, you got to uh, make sure your bandmates don't kill each other. The whole yeah, I'm kind of doing all that's the, all those are my jobs. So right now I don't have the time to try and to be like, okay, I want to dedicate an hour or two hours a day to, to practice. Cause that's what it is. You know, there's no way you can, you can, it's, it's a minimum of one hour of doing that shit. Yeah. Um, kind of talking about what you were mentioning. Sorry. You've been, Sorry I'm no, 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 no. It was a perfect tie into exactly what I wanted to get into. So it's a, uh, you've switched between guitar and bass. You've mentioned that a few times now. Um, so let's talk about getting to high reaper. So how did you, 
how did you start this band? What were you first playing? How did you first start writing? But it was back formed back in 2016. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So our first our, our, our guitar player is no longer with the band. I was he had a he had a like a kind of like a I want to say like almost a like Kings of Leon style band <clears throat> that I it was is his project that I had been working on with him for five years, like kind of like helping him develop his sound or whatever. And we had just gotten done that and I, I was just worn out from it. Um <clears throat> it was doing it was good for me because I, I I learned, I mean, I didn't listen to Kings of Leon and stuff like that. I learned about that kind of music and it was a good learning experience for me. And, um, I, but I was kind of wore out from it because it didn't really go anywhere. There's no real underground scene for that kind of shit. And there was, it was just making records for, no, you know, for nothing. It was kind of a drag on all of us. I mean, um, but anyway, so after, but I was playing bass, and and our 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 High Reapers original drummer was also playing uh, in that band, and um, so after about six months of not playing music, I was just like, ah, man, I think I want. I was like, okay, I want to make kind of like a Sabbath style band, like a old school metal kind of thing. Um, and at first, I was like, maybe I just was like, maybe I'll just get into playing the drums a little bit and, and I'll, I'll just do everything myself and just make an instrumental record or something. Just, I just want to write some riffs and shit. Um, so Andrew, that's his name. Our, our, our first guitar, our original guitar player with Pat. I mean, Pat's still in the band. And um, so I said, Hey man, what to do. And, and our drummer now, Justin, we call him devil. So I'm not going to be able to call him Justin. So his name's devil to me. So that's what it is. So anyway, um, I'd originally thought like, oh, maybe I'll get Devil to play because I was I was wanting to play guitar because Devil is he's only four years younger than me. And he grew up on the OG side of metal and, and he's the one who turned me on to death metal back when he was like 17 when, we, when I first met him. Um, like he turned me on to any kind of extreme metal. I mean, I was already listening to Slayer and shit, but I'm saying shit that was beyond Slayer in like uh, I met him in 90. He graduated in 94. So I met him in 94. Um, anyway, but I wasn't sure if I, you know, if I was, if I wanted to switch back to guitar. And then I said, so I said to Andrew, I said, man, I'm thinking about making like a, like a, like a Sabbath style, like a heavy kind of music. I was like, will you sing? Cause Andrew's a, he has a really great sense of melody. And I was thinking like, ah, maybe it would be interesting to hear like really kind of like heavy shit with a melodic, vocal and he's like not only saying he's like it's Zach because Andrew and Zach had been in a band when they were young uh like kind of a riff rock band kind of um less less metal than we are but it was like you know like a hard rock riff riff rock so um, I'm so washed out this real job crazy anyway um so I said all right so Andrew's like I'll talk to Zach and I was like all right well fuck it well if you're not gonna play or if you're not going to sing, I guess I'll just play bass. And if I'm going to be playing bass, I'll have naps. Because we had been playing together bass and, and drums for we had already been playing together at least like five years. So at that point, it didn't make sense to, to bring in Devil because I was going to be forced to into playing bass. And I was just like, well, fuck it. I mean, I've been playing naps 
playing with Naps. If I were going to play guitar, I would have said, let's bring Devil in now because uh, Devil and I have all the same language. It's very easy to say, oh, play this like the Stargazer intro. Oh, play this like that. Oh, play this like that. You know, like all of the same shit. It's super easy to reference. We have a, we share the same musical vocabulary when it comes to, Devil also was, you know, grew up listening to everything. So I can talk about Journey to him as easily as I could talk about, uh, you know, Morbid Angel. And that's important um, for me. Um, but at that, at that time, like I said, I wasn't going to be playing guitar. So it wasn't, the, the band wasn't going to go in that direction uh, yet. So it was not necessary. So, so Naps uh, came in and, and basically Naps and I wrote the entire first record because Pat was living at the beach. Pat would come up and Pat helped out too. Andrew was working all the time and, and it, it kind of worked out that way. It wasn't intentional. Um, but most, uh, you know, maybe it's like the exception of Die Slow and um, the front and the front part of uh, whatever the last song is on the record. I don't remember. Uh, um, Friend of Death. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, pretty much the rest of the record was just me and Naps. But I mean, you know, Pat would come up and then we'd get it together. So, I mean, as a songwriter, I always think that's somewhat unfair. When I think of it, I just say, hey, you know, like in terms of publishing, everything's divided five ways because I would never be writing this shit if these if I wasn't doing a project, you know. So, I mean, all it doesn't matter. And now, now Pat and I, you know, we pretty much just write this shit together. We, you know, we have at that time. It was. It wasn't serious. We were. We were just doing it for fun, and we thought that, uh, you know, like maybe we play like six shows and get drunk or something. And, yeah. Uh, it was not. It was not intentional. And then things just got, you know, the record got done and things just got out of control. And then we had a record deal. You know, was it? But it, you know, we had only played probably. I think we played six shows before we got a record deal, and we had. I think we got. Signed our record deal on the one year uh, from the day of our first show. I think so. I'm pretty sure. Oh. Is that 2017? Uh, the record came out in 2017. 20, uh, what? What did it come out? What, what, 20, what year? 2018. Okay, so yeah. Then it's yeah. Then it's Halloween of 2017. We uh, um, um, signed the record deal. Uh, okay. How how the hell did that happen? Other than you guys sound amazing. Um. I will tell you really quickly. So um, we had gotten done the record and we had just like, first of all, I had retired from playing metal a long time ago. I didn't even know that this, any kind of doom, stoner, underground scene like this existed. In the, in the 90s, our roadies used to listen to sleep. So I had to listen to sleep all the time. We used to play with Carmen and Byrne a bunch. We, I had no idea that they were still around. And I didn't know people had been listening to any of this shit. I didn't listen to it. I don't fucking know. I just made, you know, we just were making a record. I don't fucking know. So anyway, so we got okay. it. We got the record done. And then um, we were just sharing it with people. And they were like, oh, man, I kind of, you know, I like this. And, and like all of us were like, what the fuck? You know, like, and when we shared it, uh, Elise from Heavy Temple 
was like, why don't you get a PR guy that we had this PR guy, Curtis Dewar. This was the least saying. So I said, okay, yeah, sure. It's like, I don't know what it was. Curtis, if I say the number and it's wrong, I think it was like 400 bucks. Okay. So he said, sure, this sounds cool. You know, they're, they're, he's like, just, just put it up on Bandcamp and say you're going to release it whenever. I said, okay, yeah, sure. Fuck it. Let's do that. So he's like, well, we're on a campaign for, I don't know what it's eight weeks or something. Um, and then so, and Weedian, he was like, he picked it up and he was like, ah, you know, he started like promoting it a little bit on his, on his Instagram. And then um, before it was to come out, people, I think maybe, I want to say it came out on Bandcamp or something like that. But, but I, it, and, and I started getting messages from people like, hey, is someone putting this out? Hey, what's going on? And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And I was like, well, uh, no. And then Zach was like, yo, get some motherfucker to put it out on vinyl. And I said, okay, man, yeah, like, what the fuck do we care? We, we, we started this with no intentions of doing anything. So I was like, yeah, I don't know, fuck. So I started, I was like, oh, man. After, so then I just started doing a deep dive into the whole scene. I was like, oh, okay, there's this whole scene. All right, I got it. All right. So, and I was like, let me start looking at these labels and seeing who's who. And I was like, oh, man, Heavy Psych Sounds would be awesome. That would be I was like, that's who I want to be on. So I wrote him and I got no response. And I wrote, I started, so I had gotten, I had gotten like a bunch of messages from a bunch of people, but then I was like, also like reaching out to people beyond those who would message me. Heavy, heavy psych sounds being one of them and, and no response. And then the messages kept rolling in. <laughs> and uh, so Neil's, from Cursed Tongue, uh, he was like, hey, uh, I can't put out this record. I love it. Uh, I could put out, you know, your second record, but he's like, I, I, he's like, I have too many releases. I, he's like, my schedule's set, but I'll find somebody to put it out. And then he's like, have you talked to this guy? I was like, yeah. And he said, no. And he's like, did you talk to this guy? And I was like, yeah. And we had already had, at this time, we had offers, let's say, from like three labels. I said, man, I really want to be on Heavy Psych Sounds. And he's like, well, let me let me message Gabrielle right now. I said, okay. I said, why well, are you messaging? And he didn't respond. He's like, that's okay. So I said, hey, man, you know, Neil said, we're I'm chatting with Neil and Messenger, and he's like, hey, check this band out. And uh, and and I I want to say that Curtis had done so much for us because our, we had we had gotten positive write-ups you know like uh, the reviews have been very positive and curtis had kind of I, I i'm on the press team now hps i work for the label also so i i understand how all this shit works and it was kind of a miracle that he was able to get us written up anywhere because we were you know we're unsigned and all this stuff anyway so then i started to talk talk with uh gave it hps and um uh, and then that it kind of over the next couple of days of back and forth Kind of, it just you know we got our we got the deal that I wanted for us, and that and that was it. And then and then we pulled it down off of Bandcamp, and then he said, okay, we'll release it in 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 March. And then he did, he pulled off the biggest miracle at all, of all because I had said when we signed, I was like, man, we really went to Europe and all this shit. And he's like, this isn't. He's like, this is a record deal. It's not because he's also a booking agent. He's like, this is not for a tour. 
I said, all right, you know, like, I was like, I don't give a fuck, whatever. It's coming out on vinyl. And, and, you know, four days or let's say a month ago, we, you know, this was just a joke to us, not a joke, but you know, it was something that we didn't start with the intention of, of it going where it went. And then, so literally in typical gay fashion of him being like, nah, there's no tour. I said, all right, man, that's cool. You know, whatever. Three days later, he's like, how about a high reaper tour? I said, okay, man. He's like, how long can you do? Can you do a month? And we said, yeah, we'll do a month. And then, uh, and then uh, he somehow, through who, who knows how, <laughs> managed to book us for a tour when we were an unknown band who had had six, uh, you know, six gigs in the United States and got us on Desert Fest um, Berlin on our first tour. And, uh, uh, and that was in, I believe it was in April. And the record had come out in in March, and you know, and then we proceeded to do two more month long tours over the next, uh, let's say, about fourteen more months. And so we we did almost ninety shows in three months in in Europe. Yeah, wow. Coming so, from nowhere. Yeah, and you weren't you weren't expecting to do this. No, and we did good in the U.S. Um, and then, you know, COVID hit and kind of threw everything off. But then we went out and toured after COVID anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was a, it was kind of, it was really a whirlwind because we went from like thinking like, all right, you know, we're going to play, uh, you know, Philly and we'll play New York and God, this is so washed out. Sorry, everyone. Um, but you, you, you really went in the side door with the whole uh the doom metal the all that stuff to kind of get in that scene that's pretty it's pretty cool that you kind of like rediscovered it you were like you wanted to go for something but then you found out there was a community for it yeah well the funny thing is that it was something i was a part of 20 years earlier 30 years or 25 25 years earlier like i said i was playing with fucking carmen and burn back then and our roadies played sleep fucking i don't know how many times they played holy mountain when we were you know on tour and stuff and um uh and monster magnet and i couldn't believe we're playing fucking desert fest berlin and then there's monster magnet i'm thinking like monster magnet jesus christ man <laughs> like yeah. they're still and i don't mean that in a bad way i'm just saying i was totally oblivious because i was busy doing other shit yeah that's uh, that's pretty rad what do you what do you uh what do you think about the scene now in general like what what uh what do you pull away from all these desert fest shows you played and well, I think that it's, first of all, I want to say that I think that it's really fantastic that it exists and it would not exist uh, without support of fans, you know, and it's, it's really incredible because <clears throat> like it's as a musician, like it's, it's just as satisfying as playing, playing the 300 people to me is just as satisfying as playing the 15,000. I don't, uh, you know, it, it, the fact that anyone's willing to show up is, <laughs> it's crazy. The fact that it exists is crazy to me because I only wish it was, you know, it, I wish it was more like that in the States. In yeah. Europe, it's, you know, it's really supportive. And as a touring band, you know, they go out of their way to kind of accommodate you and you get fed and you get a place to sleep and, in the U.S., it's hard going, and that's why we have a bus here. You know, we have a we have a tour bus, but you know, in in, the, in Europe, we can get away with the van. So, 
But um, but nonetheless, just that there's any scene even in the states is great. And I, you know, every little bit helps. And people, when you're on the outside, you really don't realize how important uh, the promoters are who are willing to take the risk to have a show because most of them, um, you know, they're it's not a money making venture for them in any way. But they are they are also are or have been musicians and they you know they support they support the scene i mean like it's like like guys like there's a guy sven Mueller in in, um, in in dresden in germany you know and he is like an example of like you know a guy who just loves music and wants to support music and he does and it's really that those guys, there's so many of them in Europe, and it's really great. I mean, and it's all—it's everybody together. You know, of course, the people come out to the show and they pay to see you and they buy your merch. And those promoters are scrambling to make those shows happen, having a venue. And I mean, not only in Europe, but of course here too. I mean, locally we have really in Philly we happen to have, you know, good venues like 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 Johnny Brenda's and Kung Fu Necktie and like. Uh, or leaves and stuff that are supportive. You know, it's, it's, it, it takes everybody. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of moving parts. You I know, it's it, so cool about that scene in general is everybody does want to buy albums. Everybody does want to buy the shirts. Everybody's like, they want to go on Bandcamp, throw a few bucks your way. It's, um, it, they want that revival. And it, and it's, it's insane because all that shit really does help. And it, you know, Every shirt, and when you're on the road, man, like every record is like a fucking, it's a coffee or it's fucking gas in your tank or whatever. It gets you, it really does. It, it, it makes, it is a different, every, every dollar on the road is a different, is a difference maker. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's, uh, that, that's why, like I said, that's why I love that scene so much. You know, people always mm-hmm. rock their shirts, their vinyls and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's full on, I don't know, it's kind of like the 70s or it's what, it's what people think of as what the 70s is because, you know, a lot of young, young, uh, young takes in there. Um, I just want to say, it, it, without sounding too cheesy, it, it is, it's, a, it's an actual community and, and it is supported uh, top. The bottom and it is a community it is everyone working together to support a scene that otherwise would would not exist would not be capable of, of existing yeah and it, yeah so i'll be at desert fest in uh new york this year i'm really really excited to go it's going to be super oh fun. so yeah we played last year yeah well, was, well uh, really great and they're the uh, sarika and 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 uh and reese who organize a desert fest london they're the, they do new york too uh and they're they're really great. It it's they're another part of the scene that's super important, you know. Just like the local small promoters, the people taking the risk to, to do the larger shows uh are doing the same thing and they're and they're fucking great and they're great. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll see you the eighteenth at St. Vitus in Brooklyn, but we'll we'll get we'll get to that whole that wrap up there um in a, in a little bit. But uh I wanna talk so you talk you you've been into engineering you're building a studio right now what does that look like for you guys like when did you get into engineering how did you, how, what do you use what programs what oh okay, man, okay. Is- 
in the nineties in that band, we had a crazy manager. Um, so we had a spec deal, which uh, at a studio in New York called power station. If you don't know what it is, you can just Google it. Uh, but it's, it's one of the biggest studios in New York. So what a spec deal does, though, is that you relinquish uh, part of your record deal or part of uh, uh, publishing your rights to music or anything to a studio in order for uh, for studio time. I mean, they probably don't really exist that much anymore because it's it's a total moot point. But so when we were in there for the better part of a year, and when we were in there, the owner was like, "Hey." Uh, you know, you, you, you should learn to do this. He's like, start learning how to do this. So I said, okay. So I kind of started learning over the better part of a year, learning the basics of engineering there at power station while, while my band was reporting. We subsequently left there and uh, went down to Philly to Sigma Sound, which is, if you don't know what that is, that's cool. You can also Google that and you'll see um, what it is, um, but it's a totally famous place in Philly. And when I was there, the head engineer, um, Mike Tarsia, <laughs> um, he was like, I really want to work with you. I really want to teach you, blah, blah, blah. So I, I learned the rest. I learned the rest of my engineering jobs under another guy there named Gordon Rice, but I learned mixing from Mike. And I proceed, Mike and I mixed our first song together, um, which really was me telling saying, no, I like this, I don't like that, and him doing the mix. Um, I think maybe in 94, okay. maybe in 94, 95, and then we proceeded to work together for the rest of his life, which just ended last year, or well, a year, a year ago in November or whatever. But yeah, so that's how it was. I, I got a million-dollar education for free. Um, I... I and so, I mean, I don't, you know, again, just, you, I just kind of like lucked into that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so after Mike died, normally I would just mix it in my house and then I could just take my mixes to Mike's uh, after Sigma closed. That's another story. It's not, it's long. Anyway, uh, like many of the big studios, they closed. Uh, I would just take my I would take my mixes or finish my mixes at Mike's studio in his house. Mike had a studio in South Philly. It was a grandparent's house that he, uh, and it's the house that his father grew up in. Um, <clears throat> and then he had a, a proper, uh, you know, treated real control room uh, in his house with a mixing room with a, uh, with a vocal booth. So he, we could do overdubs there and we could, I, I would, what I would do is I would do my mixes at home. I would take them to Mike's, check them. You know, because my room wasn't really treated. I checked them and then we'd master them there. And then so after Mike died, uh, just by luck again, was, is, I had actually, I was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to, uh, I had had a studio in my house, but, but I decided it's just too much. Uh, so I was like, we'll just do overdubs and mixing here. Fuck all the tracking. So I sold a bunch of my stuff. Um, and even some of my mics and I sold my snares and, um, and then the, I, I'm a tattooist and then the building next to the tattoo shop became vacant. So then I said, all right, well, fuck it. I'm going to make a studio there. So I've been building out a studio and then 
there was another studio. Uh, the guy, a, a guy, another friend of mine who used to, uh, he was an assistant at, at Sigma. He would just assist sessions. Uh, he had a studio in Germantown. So after Sigma closed, Germantown's part of Philly. Anyway, uh, after Sigma closed, I used to track drums always here in Germantown. Well, he died just a couple months before Mike. And then um, and then another one person in that partner in that studio left uh, and he moved to New York, upstate New York. And then the remaining partner, who was also a friend of mine, you know, these are people I've known forever. You know, we've been in the studio circle, same studio circle for, you know, 20, 30 years, whatever. I said, hey, Andrew, his name's Andrew. I said, hey, I'm getting the place next door. So if you ever get out of Germantown and you want to just come in and be partners here, just come here. And then he was like, he was like, you know what? He's like, uh, he's like, Richie moved to New York. Artie's dead. He's like, fuck it. I'm going to move out of Philly anyway. He's like, I I'm sick of, I'm sick of Philly. So as it turns out, the microphones I sold and the snares that I sold <laughs> all came back to me and we, uh, we are putting together a studio next door and I run pro tools. I mean, I learned on, I learned on tape. I don't give a shit about tape. Um, personally, I don't care about any of that bullshit. It's cool. It's it, but I mean, I don't, I don't care about it. It's, it's not important to me. The song, the song and the source, the song is important. And as an engineer, the source is important. I just care about the sound. If, if we recorded the tape, it'll sound, you know, it'll have tape compression probably. And it'll, and saturation and it'll probably sound a little bit different but i mean i choose to record digitally because i want to be able to recall my mix and i don't want to, i want to be able to and, and i still try and i still try and approach digital mixing as i would approach it on, on a console and i don't i don't overuse plugins and i pretty much use one reverb for the mix and i try to my 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 workflow is streamlined and I try to, I try to make decision decisions as if I were still mixing on a knee, even though I'm mixing in the box and I, I, I mix only in the box. I, I don't really use outboard stuff all, uh, once we're mixing. Um, I just figure what's the point. I mean, it's not really, it's never about your plugin. It's always about the song and the source and, and, and the performance. So maybe, uh, Maybe my delay plugin, my Lexicon modeler doesn't sound as the exact same as a PCM41, but I don't really give a fuck. I don't really think that, you know, Johnny in Idaho is going to be like, man, that, that, that delay on that guitar that's buried in the mix, uh, it doesn't really sound exactly like a PCM, you know, whatever. It's yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, so I use Pro Tools because that's what I learned on. I'm sure Reaper is probably much better. Uh, it's kind of like open source from what I understand, but I'm not going to learn something else. I have a workflow and that's what I use. And, uh, and, that, and that's, you know, like personally from if a band wanted to record on tape, I would totally record a band on tape. I don't have any intention of getting a, a two inch machine or any machine. And I, I won't be recording our band on tape anytime soon. It's just, I don't, it's, that's not part of the process that, when I write a song, I don't think, man, I can't wait to hear an 1176 because it's going to make this track so much better. Or it's not, that's not what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking like, okay, I can't wait to get the best performance for this song. And 
Bethesda and, and uh, from everyone. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not thinking about if you're looking, my opinion is that if you're looking to a tape machine or, or a piece of hardware or a microphone to somehow make your record better or more interesting, you're probably better served looking in different places for that. Yeah. I like that. I like that idea. Just the performance, the performance. So it's the only thing you make shit about really. I, I mean, the whole Sigma thing was always, uh, it's the performance first, or I'm sorry, it's the song first and then it's the performance. And then, and, you know, Joe Tarsia, who's the, he's the person who started Sigma, founded Sigma, um, who he just recently died also. Um, he always said, as engineers, it's our job just not to fuck up. Like that, that like um, you have you have the musicians doing the job that they that they're there to do, and and you know they're probably capable. And in the Sigma days, they certainly were capable. I mean, they have the fucking you know just killer musicians on all these tracks. Um, and so our job as engineers is just to not fuck it up. I mean, how how. If you have a good drummer, I mean, how is how is he going to make his drum sound bad? You have a great bass player. How yeah, his bass is never going to sound fucking bad, you know. Like our job is to not fuck that up. It's not to sprinkle fairy dust all over the record and somehow turn a fucking polish a turd into like a you know a piece of gold. It's not the way engineering works. I mean, of course, when you're mic- when you're only mixing, sometimes that is what you have to do because you will get a snare sound that you're like, who in their right fucking mind could record this? But they yeah. do that. But, you know, nonetheless, that, that's my feeling as a musician. I am never thinking of, whoa, man, you know, when I hear a riff or because I write a lot of stuff in my head, you know, I'm never thinking like, man. When I put an 1176 on that guitar track, it's going to sound so much better. The record's going to be a hit. I mean, there is no preamp that ever wrote a hit song. There's no there's no compressor that ever wrote a hit song or 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 or, or recorded a, a hit vocal track or, or not, I mean not even a hit, but made they never no tape machine wrote a riff for anyone and no compressor wrote wrote a killer riff for anybody. And you know. I just wrote that down. That's a, I like that line. <laughs> I, just, I just concentrate on, you know, do the drum sound good? Okay, cool. I just want to make sure I get what's, and, and, you know, I'm a Andy, I'm a Andy Johns fan. You know, he did like Zeppelin four. He did all, oh, he did good stones records. Well, I mean, lots of stone records. Um, he also did like Cinderella night moves, which is a killer record, by the way. Um, and I believe he did that in Cajun, which is a closed studio that was outside of Philly. Um, and uh, I'm also an Andy Wallace fan. That's, he's a completely different kind of mixer. But, um, you know, Andy Johns, who, I mean, considering this is a guy who, who, who you know, put uh, uh, two mics into a compressor and, and, and ran a, an echo rec on there to make... Um, so he totally manipulated a sound to make a, a when the levy breaks a drum track. And then when digital was around, he was like, I like it better. It's like, I like it better because I went off when I'm miking. He's like, I'm hearing more something that sounds closer. He's like, I'm hearing what's in the room more than when I'm, you know, uh, recording the tape. And that's not always, there's not, listen, tape sounds great. 
that sounds familiar. All the classic records are recorded on. So of course, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it sounds great, but I don't, I don't, I don't care. I mean, like, it's it's not worth the the, the expense and inconvenience um, because digital sounds great, plugins sound great. I mean, you can see it all the time on gear sluts when people do A/B blind tests. It's always it's always fifty fifty. No one ever, you know, the people who are with with pedigrees for, that has reached from here to the moon are guessing the digital one and calling it analog. I mean, you can see it. You can see it with wine tasting. You can see it in anything that 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 is really subjective. You know, it's it's all the answers are always going to be the same, which is all over the place. You know? And that doesn't happen with a band. You can't you can't make that shit up with a band. A bad sounding band's never going to be AB against a good yeah, band. It doesn't matter. I mean, the, you know, the, the the you again something else you can stretch to the moon are a million records made with incredible producers that sound amazing that are horrible records. And there, there, there's a stack of them, you know, littered all over, you know, there's a million records that suck that, that, that major labels paid a million bucks to make with the best producers and the best engineers. And the records suck even by good bands, you know, that they just, they made a stinker and they were recorded in the best way you could ever imagine. And, and nothing with the best producers and all the best help. And it's still, you know, so it's not, it's really, it always boils down to number one thing is, is it good? You know, and with a pop song, it's the melody. And with, with a metal song, you know, it's like, does the riff get you? Does something get, you know, with a, with a metal song, it's not usually, it's, it's, it's unique in the sense that it's not, it's not usually, a met, it's not usually the melody. It's like, hey, you know, is this riff, you know, is this thing knocking? Yeah. Well, love all that. Uh, I want. I just want to make sure we get. Sorry, I talk so much. I know I do. It's, it's, no, no, it's, no, 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 no. I, I, uh, I, I hope to catch you at the show a little bit. Kind of keep on talking about this because I could, I could go on with this forever. So <laughs> we didn't even get in drumming nerd stuff yet. I mean, yeah, but, exactly. That I mean, that's a whole other. <laughs> yeah, drumming. You know, drumming is that's that's what really shows somebody's colors. I'm, I'm not. I can go very deep on that. So, yeah. so I, I can get very, very, very deep on that. And let's, let's do okay. That's just a warning. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really want to talk. How I really need to ask this: How did you get uh, on to playing the the what the volume four Redux? The how how did that come about for you guys? Uh, I might have. This might have still be been when Mike uh, had the label. I mean, Jad was still running it. I either message Jad or Mike because I had already had a relationship with one of them. I was like, yo, get us if, oh, no, I know what happened. No, it might have been uh, for the, for those who don't know, why don't you walk us walk us through it? What, the, that record? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Well, well, uh, Magnetic Eye does do these like Redux records and, you know, they've done like Dirt, they've done uh, Meantime by Helmet. Um, I, th- I saw that tour, I think, uh, that Helmet tour at the Troc. Um, my friend Zangarilla, I think, opened that show. Um, uh, anyway, um, I believe that Mike messaged, uh, I, run, I run HBS Instagram and Facebook and I'm on the press team and shit. And I believe Mike messaged HPS and I was like, you know what, Mike, I, we'd love to do it. 
I really wanted to do Supernaut. But then after a bunch of chatting, we said, fuck it, we'll just do changes, which was, <laughs> uh, that was a mistake, but. A hard it, was, it turned out great. God, well, it was, it was difficult. I, I did about four versions of that song before I came to that. I did all acoustic, all Mellotron, um, all, I had a, a bunch of versions of that. And then one night I said, fuck it, I'm just going to rewrite this song. Yeah. And, um, that's what happened. And I you got something a little special yeah. because you went down to drop C during it. Is that right? Yeah, and then and then we just kept kept after that because I thought it would sound really because I wanted to make it heavy and I was like, okay, I can't write this in standard tuning uh, and make it sound heavy. It's going to sound fucking stupid. And I said, all right. I said, well, the song's in C. This way, we'll keep the song in C, so people aren't going to be weirded out by Zach singing the melody in some other key, you know? Because I I was trying to be conscious of that. Yeah, so that's what that, that's so I apologize to everyone who thinks it's stupid, but I, 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 I think it's awesome. Yeah, so I mean, so <laughs> you guys are down drop C from there. I mean, so if anything, even if you weren't like the most stoked on it, you know, you got something cool out of it. So, and then, and then, yeah, and then, yep, and then, so we just always oh, actually not even drop it's, it's it's C standard, C standard. So, yeah, so then that put us in C standard for uh moving forward. Yeah, fuck yeah. A uh, few things, I guess, kind of just because, uh, I mean, you've been very gracious with your time. I really appreciate this. Oh, it's no problem. Yeah, I feel like we could also talk for another two and a half hours just about the, the recording and all this shit. Too. That's right. Don't test me. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> I would love to. I love that stuff. I just moved to New York City, so I'm I'm, uh, I'm getting into the whole I'm trying to get oh, my way into some studios and all that stuff right now, and I'm trying to find the best stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Where where in New York? Uh, I'm in uh, Brooklyn right now. We just got an apartment in Bushwick, but I'm I okay. don't care. I'm all over the place. Okay. Well, yeah. I I don't know anymore because I'm not really up there much anymore, just for shit. So I'm I'm yeah. very out of touch when it comes to that. Well, if anything pop, comes up in your head, you know, pop in my way. Uh, so hey, let's just go into your guitar rig really quick. What kind of what makes your guys sound? Because that is I think the most unique of what pops out to me the most you know, very believe it or not we are very plug and play i plug directly i mean well most of the stuff i mean pretty much pat has played all the rhythms on everything first record we did we did use a rocker verb we used a laney super group on some stuff and we used andrew had an orange atc 140 or something i can't remember what the name of that thing is then on the second record was all rocker verb. I think no, is rocker verb and Andrew still on on Doom Sessions? It was um, uh, and I want to say it's it's really just plug and play. Uh, Pat will sometimes use a uh, he will sometimes use a full drive, uh, but just for a clean boost. So just to give a little more clean boost, me I only. Uh, I just plug in and play, although I've only been playing solos uh, and stuff. Like uh, even on the one we just released, I just played the solo on it and the bass. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, but it's, it's pretty much direct into the app. On this new record we're going to be making, I'm going to use an old head that I had, which is an old, that is heavily model, modded. Uh, so we'll be using um, Pat's rocker verb. I won't be using my rocker verb on this one. I will be using a Coke. Multi tone. How, how, 
How was it modded? What did you uh, what did you do? Uh, I, it was is too scooped in the mids, so it's uh, it's just most of it. Most of that stuff came from just trying to coax more mids out of it. So the the tone stack's a little bit. It's not it's not normal what what the coke tone stack was originally, but it's it's very high gain. Or, oh, I, don't, I can't say that anymore because now high gain answers. It's it's in the I would say it's in the league of a rocker verb with a tiny bit more gain, but it does not sound like a rocker verb. So for this new record, I just want to give a little bit more of contrast between each guitar. Um, so and I, I'll be well, Pat. Pat also, I want to say that he has an artisan that he's been. Uh, uh, with the newer stuff, he's been using this Les Paul Artisan, and that has much hotter pickups. So there, I think, I think that the they're about 17 km. I think the the bridge pickup, so it's a hotter pickup. And I'll be recording with my Ibanez's uh, with hot pickups too. So uh, I think my one is uh, one is a prototype pickup. It's somewhere around 20k, and the other one's close to 30. Damn. All right. So, so they're, they're kind of slamming the front end of the amps. Pretty cool. Very simple. I've always, I've always tried to, and I kind of, I kind of helped impart that uh, on Pat. Is that I've always just, I, even back in the '90s, I, I just plugged right in and played. When I used my vintage orange stuff, I would put something in front, uh, uh, in front of it, just to get a little, because, because, so I didn't have to play on on ten, you know, to get it to break up. But I also had an orange overdrive and. That that was like a seventy-five or something, and uh, uh, that nothing in front of it, and then but I did have a boogie sometime, and that I would I would just plug right into that too. Nothing. I use just a delay pedal live. Pat has some other stuff like a phaser and shit like that, but I just have a delay pedal. It's pretty simple. You guys just dial in exactly how you want it. I guess. Yeah. Same with bass. With bass, always plug just plug right in. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I try yeah. to keep it. Wow, cool. Like, yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I think um, there's just this metallic tone that you guys get that I think is like really unique to your to your style. I guess that's, that's how I mix it. Yeah, well, fucking rad. Um, yeah, well, thing I like to ask every person we have them show: chef, artist, sculptor, painter, visual, whatever. I like to always ask them, what is your version of success for you, or for what? What do you think people should should be looking for? Uh, my version of success is just uh, anyone responding positively to anything that you've done. And uh, as, as an, I think that's really it. I mean, when you do something, even, even, even if you don't do it with the intention of being like, Oh, this is my life's work or whatever, you know, if you create something as a creator or whatever, um, if you create something and it speaks to someone on any level, then that that is success. Because I'm going to fucking go crazy with this stupid fucking light. Sorry. So anyway, I still washed it up. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean that's it. If you if you create something and people respond to it positively, then you know you've you. It's funny because you will you will more often than not miss the mark if you're creating something in order for people to respond to it. So as you know, like if you say, 
oh, if I do it like this, these people will like it. Or if I do this, you can't, you have to kind of like let go of that, which is, I think, probably part of the reason why our, our first record was received well was because we made it without the intention of doing anything with it. You know, there is no, we, it wasn't contrived because there was nothing for us to contrive. We were just wanting to write a hard record and we weren't thinking of like, oh man, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know if we were going to put it out, you know? Just, yeah, just you, like, oh. you weren't expecting to get on tour. You weren't expected to play festivals. You weren't, none of that. No, no, no. no. You didn't so, even know there was a scene for it. Yeah, I mean, so like, like, like uh, for me, that that's, you know, you if, if you're expecting riches or expect to be a millionaire or something, you should probably not be a musician. I mean, I've had real jobs as a musician, um, but most I, I always I've turned down lots and lots of um, jobs uh, because of not uh, like touring jobs and playing for people stuff because that's not satisfying for me i did have a job in tv i was like a musical director on a tv show which that was fine uh that was because that was it was more like a regular day-to-day job i guess you can kind of say but um as far as like for me I, i can't tour and play other people's music i just can't do it i don't i don't just don't i would do it like for my friends like for a fill-in or something but as like a job like being hired to play somebody else's stuff i just would never there's just not enough there is not enough money to to get me to do that because it's not satisfying as as you know as a creator you're not doing anything you're just you're just performing a technical task yeah yeah it takes takes away why you even started doing this i'd I'd rather i'd rather just be running or doing something else yeah well yeah I like that. It's all it's all good stuff to know. Um, well, you guys, High Reaper is playing at St. Vitus on Saturday, March 18th with Ruby and the Hatchet and Leather Lung. That's right. Um, is there anything else you want to say to the to the fans out there? This has been a really, really fun talk. I've had a really good good time talking with you, but is there anything? I'm else? sorry. Sorry that I talk too much. I no. I, <laughs> I don't know if you um, know, but the point of a podcast is just uh, to talk. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Thank you for supporting us. Uh, I would say all those things. And we we are, the studio is is like at 80% completion. So all the walls are up, it's painted. So uh, it's, re- we can rehearse in there at least. So um, yeah. we, we are, we are in the slow process of finishing that off. And uh, we will be making a record as soon as the studio is put together. It's going to take a couple more months to put it together just because there's so much shit in Germantown. You guys have been pretty prolific. What was it? One, uh, you guys have been doing one album per year. We did. We did. We turned around to the second album really fast. And then we were doing a, we were going to do like a, a an e, like an EP because we were getting ready to go on tour again and COVID hit. And then so we took some of those songs from the EP and then we did the Doom sessions. And then so we had a couple songs left over. And since we hadn't done anything, you know, we released this a couple weeks ago because just for no reason, just to, just to, so people didn't forget us. <laughs> that's always that's always a good thing. Just shout out in the wind. Hey, we're still alive. Hey, we're alive. Yeah. Well, it's hey, awful. can't wait, can't wait to see you guys. It's been super fun, Shane. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the oh, project. Yeah, and I'll uh, we'll I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Right on. Thank you. Yeah, have a great rest of your day, man. You too. Bye bye.
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Zen Prayer Project. Make sure to follow the Zen Prayer Project on Instagram. Leave us a review for any of the episodes that you liked. And consider sharing this with a friend that might be interested in this sort of show. We'll see you next time.